Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 1st of February 2023, a little bit after one o'clock. Apologies for that. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by Alex Thompson from the Netherlands and also Debbie Evans, our nursing correspondent. Uh, right, let's get straight on then with, uh, well, the strikes. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn tweeting this out today, 500,000 workers <coughs> taking historic strike action. Uh, they're striking for decent pay. They're striving for social justice. They're fighting for us all. And my question is, are they? Uh, because, of course, uh, they haven't really been told the truth by the unions as to what the real causes of the problems are. And so, uh, uh, although it's great to see people uh, taking action, um, it's uh, it, not necessarily for the right reasons. But anyway, teachers uh, today, obviously civil servants, university staff, real workers, bus workers, nurses, ambulances, uh, physios and midwives all taking action today or during this week. Um, so, uh, well, let's see how that goes. But uh, the government at this point saying that uh, no more money is on the table. Uh, they're prepared to discuss terms and conditions, uh, but they're not prepared to discuss any amount of money. So there we go. I think it's orchestrated, Mike. I think the unions need to be closely examined for what they're doing and how they're working with the government, certainly in some cases. I, I think that's absolutely right, but uh, still people getting out on the streets. Now, uh, let's get on to the online safety bill. And uh, well, one aspect that we haven't really been, we've mentioned it in the past, but we haven't been focusing on uh, terribly uh, heavily. And that is this issue of mass surveillance that goes hand in hand with the online safety bill. Um, so if you remember, uh, the issue of uh, harmful, legal but harmful was dropped. Uh, and that was all because it was about protecting children. So let's remind ourselves what the statement from last December was from the uh, Department of Culture, Media and Sport. Protecting children and stamping out illegal activity online is a top priority for the government. And we will bring the online safety bill back to Parliament as soon as possible. It, of course, is back in Parliament. It's in the House of Lords at the moment and uh, at committee stage. And it will be back in the House of Commons in due course. Uh, but the main focus here is on the uh, online chat platforms, Facebook, WhatsApp, Telegram, but not necessarily just those. It could also apply to people running forums, uh, people running their own private chat servers and so on. Um, now, I just want to highlight uh, this report from Index on Censorship. It came out uh, in November last year uh, talking, uh, the title is Surveilled and Exposed, How the Online Safety Bill Creates Insecurity. Um, and uh, I do recommend people read this. Um, Let's just look at a little bit of the text from it. Uh, there's been significant commentary on the flaws of the online safety bill, they say, particularly the harmful impact on freedom of expression from the concept of the duty of care over adult internet users and the problematic legal but harmful category for online speech. Uh, Index and censorship has identified another area of the bill far less examined that now deserves our attention. Uh, the provisions in the online safety bill that would enable state-backed surveillance of private communications contains some of the broadest and powerful surveillance powers ever proposed in any Western democracy. Uh, the bill as currently drafted gives Ofcom the powers to impose Section 104 notices on the operators of private messaging apps and other online services. And it's this other online services that uh, implies, it's not clear just yet, but implies it may uh, uh, cover organizations down to even as small as the UK column. Uh, these notices give Ofcom the power to impose specific technologies, e.g. algorithmic content detection, that provide for the surveillance of the private correspondence of UK citizens. The powers allow the technology to be imposed with limited legal safeguards, 
It means the UK would be one of the first democracies to place a de facto ban on end-to-end -end encryption for private messaging apps. Now, we've mentioned the end-to-end -end encryption issue, but the issue of blanket surveillance uh, in this way, we haven't really uh, highlighted uh, as such. So let's uh, move on with this. Uh, the uh, index and censorship uh, asked for an opinion from uh, King's Council, and the legal opinion states that uh, Section 104 notices amount to state-mandated surveillance. Um, Ofcom will have a wider remit on mass surveillance powers of UK citizens than the UK spy agencies, including GCHQ. Um, they say that uh, it's questionable legality, uh, so we can have a discussion about that. Uh, but uh, they also highlight the fact that there's a failure to protect journalists. Now, although the online safety bill, uh, the, the whole issue of online safety was really pioneered by the UK over the last number of years, uh, other countries and other uh, state organisations have effectively caught up and, and, uh, and so on. And the EU, uh, in fact, has caught up on this as well. And strangely enough, they're imposing exactly the same type of policy. So have a look at the uh, Patrick Breyer website uh, to talk about, he's talking about chat control, the EU's CSEM scanner proposal. And of course, this is all about uh, protecting children uh, and trying to automatically detect um, child sexual exploitation material uh, online and so on. Uh, so uh, that uh, is a very useful article. I do suggest everybody reads it. But I wanted to also highlight a, an article that came out today by Mulvad VPN, um, and they are really highlighting the fact that EU chat control law will ban open source operating systems. So the scope of this actually, aside from the online surveillance and the, the mass surveillance and uh, bulk data collection that's going on, it had potential to have a massive impact on the entire internet. So let's have a look at what they're saying here. Article 6 of the EU's law requires that all software application stores uh, assess whether each service provided by each software application enables human-to-human -human communication, verify whether each user is over or under the age of 17, and prevent users from uh, under 17 from installing such communication software. And the point they make is this. This clearly covers the online software archives most almost universally used by open source operating systems since the 1990s as their main method of application distribution and security updates. These archives are often created and maintained by small companies or volunteer organizations. They're hosted by hundreds of organizations such as universities and the internet service providers uh, all around the world. One of the main ones, the volunteer-run Debian package archive, contains over 170,000 software packages. These software archive services are not constructed around a concept of an individual human user with an identity or an account. They are serving anonymous machines, such as a laptop, a server, or an appliance. Uh, these machines then might or might not be used by individual human users to install applications entirely outside the control of the archive services. If and when this law goes into effect, it would make illegal the open source software services underpinning the majority of services and infrastructure on the internet, an untold no number of appliances, and the computers used by software developers, amongst many other things. Uh, to comply with the law, uh, all of it would have to be shut down globally as the servers providing software and security updates can't tell the difference between a web server, a Japanese software developer, a refrigerator, and an EU teenager. So uh, maybe I could ask Alex for some comment here. First of all, on the bulk data collection and, and uh, surveillance aspect of this, um, it 
just a coincidence, perhaps, Alex, that, that uh, the UK and the EU uh, running along same lines here, using the child sexual exploitation excuse to justify uh, powers which are way beyond what we already have under RIPA? Yes, and for foreign viewers, that's the Regulation of Investigatory Powers Act. Every decade or so, uh, the security services, the intelligence agencies, such as my old employer, GCHQ, have a new uh, acronymic uh, law uh, justifying their activities, at least since about the Thatcher era, when gradually the British government started admitting that we had these services and that they wouldn't spy on the British, uh, and the same in the, the other five Irish countries, American agencies wouldn't spy on US citizens, except if it was very strictly authorised by a warrant signed by a Secretary of State. Um, but that is, of course, as we've seen with local councils spying on people's social media posts for things as routine as, uh, as uh, uh, you know, uh, falsely claiming benefits or even making uh, mistakes with their, uh, uh, their, their, their rubbish collection, that has already gone out both down to the local government agency level and across to all of these what we call in Britain quangos, quasi-autonomous national government or non-governmental organisations, arm's length agencies. And uh, that's, as you highlighted in your segment there, Mike, the problem. The, the staff at MI5, MI6 and GCHQ, and I know people will be cynical to believe this, do not actually wish to spy on their own people. They have a strong aversion to it. And although it's nearly 15 years ago since I left now, I have no reason to doubt that it's, it's still the case that people don't, don't want to waste their time and do unlawful things. Uh, spying on their own people. They can see the, the, the uselessness of that. But this is being obviated by bringing in a new class of people, a new mindset and new justifications for it to keep everyone safe from feeling hurt or from being uh, induced to do things that aren't good for them. And one slide we didn't put in today, actually, because it didn't quite make the cut. But I've just called up the, uh, the, the text of it because it's a third European jurisdiction that going the same way. Uh, the Swiss uh, site Netzpolitik is reporting that there is a federal or confederate law at a Swiss uh, national level on protecting youth in the areas of film and video games. Article 8 of that, as currently drafted, is requiring the providers of on-demand services, starting with games, of course, uh, because it's less controversial, uh, they have to take so, so, supposedly uh, appropriate measures to stop minors from accessing the services. And uh, opponents of the law, report Netpolitik, fear that the introduction of this age check uh, would actually bring in a general digital identity requirement for the inter internet use in Switzerland. Because when you first use such a service, you would have to give your consent, your, your data and your means of tracking you for everything else you did. So yes, this, this is something that's obviously cross-jurisdictional. The whole of geographical Europe, Switzerland, UK and the EU seems to be going that way. Odd, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. The thing, I, my comment on this would be uh, we, we've looked into Ofcom in the past. And of course, if you delve into the people in Ofcom, you are straight back to the BBC. And for me to give uh, people connected with the BBC powers to be monitoring the ordinary person in UK while the BBC pushes out propaganda, I, I find outrageous. OK, let's uh, what's next? Uh, well, Alex, you're going to take us into uh, Ukraine, really. So this is uh, what I see as an overview of what started to happen. Um, so uh, tell us what you found. In summary, opinion pieces left, right and centre, including in the Western European mainstream, are admitting that the Ukraine war is unwinnable. Uh, so first of all, from an old left, uh, long time critical perspective carried in 
the cradle, which specifies an excellent Middle East coverage, including what British intelligence and security apparatuses do there. But um, this time they're carrying an opinion piece regarding Ukraine, written by Pepe Escobar, known to, I think, many of our viewers and listeners as a geopolitical commentator. The opinion piece here is called A Panicked Empire, meaning the West and the US in particular, tries to make Russia an offer it can't refuse. And the subheader says that they have realized that NATO's war with Russia will likely un end unfavorably, and therefore the US is test driving an exit offer, which Moscow is unlikely to take. So we see, I won't read the whole of this text, uh, but uh, that the, the idea seems to have been that the CIA, which largely handles the Washington Post and the New York, the State Department, uh, the Foreign Ministry of the USA, which largely handles the New York Times, would put these uh, uh, opinion pieces out saying that it's, uh, it's, it's time to slow the Russians down and, and stop Ivan from thinking that he can just go on and do a large offensive uh, as the freeze continues in February, simply because he can. Uh, so uh, Escobar notes that the Ukrainians at the bottom of this slide <clears throat> are passive uh, onlookers here. The Ukrainians are expandable proxies. The key recommendations circulating in what's generally known to be NATO's main think tank, namely the Atlantic Council, which also runs, as you know, the DFR Labs disinformation unit. The strategy paper was going around just before New Year, uh, and uh, it, it plays the scenario that if the war continues in its current tempo, then the neocon policy is... Uh, really, that they'll that they'll not be able to sustain that, um, so that they're going to be having having to train the Ukrainian military and imposing secondary sa sanctions, and at the bottom of the slide here, confiscate the three hundred billion dollars that the Russian state holds in overseas accounts. That is, kill the dollar. That's how desperate this war is getting. Um, it's not just uh, the the usual suspects uh, of the old commentariat who are saying this too. Uh, it's also Die Welt, a roughly equivalent to the Times, a large, a sort of centre-right paper in Germany. Um, it's been picked up on by Eugupius, uh, a German academic who, who uses this uh, this moniker to do a Substack blog, an extremely good blog. Um, he's obviously, as the, the name suggests on screen, he's been concentrating on COVID for a while, but he's starting to look at Ukraine as well. Uh, so he's picking up on the fact that just after Chancellor Schultz agreed to send irreplaceable German Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine, Die Welt has told its readership, which is basically middle Germany or, or well-to-do Germany, uh, that it's essentially impossible for Ukraine to win. Oigupius, as ever, is not over-egging this pudding. There is the piece. Note once again that it's opinion, minum. And the, uh, the Brussels correspondent of this very hot, uh, big hitting mainstream daily in, in Berlin, uh, Christoph Schultz, is saying, uh, dressed up as opinion, that it is almost impossible, fast ausgeschlossen, almost uh, unthinkable, that Ukraine could win at this stage. And Eugupius's summary of it is, again, I won't read everything, but that Russia has destroyed two thirds of critical Ukrainian infrastructure without even going into kill mode. Uh, that Russia's military is trying to counter the Western precision weapons with volume, and it has the strategy and the resources to do so. Uh, so there's a great risk to these tanks coming in from Germany and all the other Western countries. And that the longer the war has dragged on, the more Ukraine's running out of soldiers. There's social media footage circulating now, not just of men being press ganged on the street, which I know is happening in Russia too, but of Ukrainian men getting call-up papers when the state well knows that they're uh, paraplegic, for example, or missing uh, a hand. Uh, they're still being called up. Um, and then the Die Welt continues, or rather the Brussels correspondent in his own name, that the international community's done a lot to support Ukraine, but it's still far too little 
to enable Kiev to assert its territorial integrity, which uh, Shushal says is a legitimate claim. I would dispute whether that's true in full, given the history of some parts of Ukraine like Crimea. Uh, one can only suspect a strategy is at work here. That's not Ogupius. This is Develt's correspondent talking about this. Um, rather stri strikingly, also, a former foreign minister of Poland, Anna Fortiga, has been written, writing in one of the main Brussels titles, Euractiv, saying that it's time to break Russia up. Uh, the misconstrued title, which hasn't been proofread properly, of course, these are all opinion pieces, notable that it's, it, they're being carried by heavy-hitting mainstream titles. The, the title should have read that the dissolution of the Russian Federation is a far less dangerous option than leaving it ro rolled by criminals, for, by which read Putin and his, uh, his regime, uh, but they missed out a word. But here the claim is, and this goes back a century uh, to the, the Polish-led strategy then as now of Prometheanism, which is breaking up the Russian Empire by uh, a supposed empire, uh, by championing the various Muslim and other peoples that, it, that are in its central belt. Uh, so all these resources are uh, not Russian. The, ga the gas, oil, the precious metals, uh, the grain, the forests, none of it's Russian. It all belongs to the Tatars, Bashkirs, Karelians, Oirats, Circassians, Buryats, Sakha, Ural, Kuban, Nogoi, etc. Nogai, by the way, are a pretty violent North Caucasus nation who did a lot of jihad recently. So uh, that's rather interesting. So uh, Moscow, uh, Anna Fortiga takes it upon herself to say, in the, the name of Warsaw or Brussels, Moscow is only war to them. There is no nas Russian national sentiment among them. She doesn't acknowledge that there is also two words in Russian, Rossiski and Rossian, one meaning ethnic Russian and one meaning a citizen of Russia. That, that's completely foreign to her. Ros Moscow sending ethnic minorities to the meat grinder. Some truth in that, in that Chechens, for example, are overrepresented in the uh, military. But that's, that's kind of like Britain's deal with the Gurkhas, really, all of the, the Chechens are in, inside the country. So what does she suggest should be done? And I won't read this all either, but what we must do is make friends with the leaders. I suspect she means leaders in exile or designated opposition leaders, leaders in waiting of all of these territories, including the ones that have been extremely violent or had some extreme violence among them towards Russia, terrorism recently. Um, we must give these people rights. We must put them on the map get to know their perspectives for sovereignty. There's a lot of mention here of uh, prosperity. Uh, you might recall that, uh, well, I'll, I'll pass back to you. It's the middle of my segment, but I just wonder whether either of you remember which power it was in the first half of the 20th century that declared that all of the countries around it were part of its co-prosperity sphere. I think, think that might have been Germany. No. I don't know if Mike can do any better. No, I can't, off the top of my head. It was Imperial Japan when it annexed Manchuria and half the Pacific. Right, it did okay. so in a coast yeah. prosperity sphere. So that's what Fortiga is suggesting, that Poland will become, or, or, or countries like Poland on behalf of the EU and NATO, will become the fosters of, of puppet states, calling themselves the Republic of Bashkortostan and the Republic of Chalmikia and things like that. So lovely stuff. Um, a writer who's picked up on what I covered recently on UK Column uh, has, has run with it, uh, a Swede who uh, is now interested in writing directly for us. But here is a follow-up to what he saw in UK column about his own country, Sweden, and Finland to the east more particularly. News Voice in Sweden has carried this piece. Why Sweden and Finland want to join NATO? Have they been promised part of Russia? Now, Russia is such a staggeringly big country, especially when uh, given a polar projection such as this map, that you hardly notice, and it's obscured by the headline there, that the, the, the Cyrillic letter F, Finland is up in, up in the top left-hand corner of that map, showing that Finland would, according to this view, which was hung up in the, uh, we'll show who it, who it was done by, the um, 
I'll just go forward to show you that uh, Major Budanov, Major General Budanov, the head of the Ukrainian military intelligence service, had this map hanging in his office, as I recently covered. Um, and he, he refused to answer questions about what it would mean. But, mean, but it would suggest that the Ukrainians are planning to, uh, to be involved in the carve up of Russia. Um, people might not have noticed that Finland. So uh, at a European map scale and center, um, the, the News Voice article has gone to show what this would mean, basically a doubling of Finland's to well beyond its its, its uh, Second World War borders, because of course Russia took a slice of its east at the end of the Second World War. Uh, but it's suggesting that Sweden is, is in on this as well, because Sweden used to rule Finland until the Russians took it over. Um, so this is, you know, all to play for, shall we say. I know it's 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 kooky stuff, but it is being bandied about. It also shows that UK column influence is growing in that people are noticing this through their own, uh, through our coverage. Towards the end of my segment here, the Bundestag in late October uh, accepted uh, changes um, for the uh, for the uh, law, which uh, as part of criminal law, uh, allows for people to be prosecuted for incitement, which happens a lot on the continent, Volksverhetzung, incitement of the people. What's relevant here, uh, just to summarize, is that at least a couple of well well in, in, well informed and legally minded Germans have contacted me, contacted me saying that with this in place now, it may be re criminally prosecutable in Germany to say, I don't believe that the Russians are responsible for the Butcher massacre, because that has now construed in the section 130, sorry, paragraph, uh, section five of, uh, of part 130 of the uh, uh, of the new law, it might be uh, tantamount to in inciting people to hate the, and despise the Ukrainians. Um, one more slide from me, which is that the uh, French have now started sending artillery Canon in French, but basically we'd call it long-range gun or artillery to the Ukrainians. Uh, Twelve of these Caesar systems. I don't know. Don't want to put Brian in the spot, but as he's a, a sea rather than a, a land power man. But uh, there's already been 18 of them being operated in Ukraine since summer. They're going to get an extra 12 of these Caesar artillery systems in in uh, uh, in, in Kiev, courtesy of France. Separately, the French and Australians have teamed up to supply an unspecified quantity of 155 millimeter. Uh, ammunition to the Ukrainians, but without the systems to fire them and the men trained to operate them who can stay alive, I don't know what use that will be. Well, and uh, Alex, it's the numbers. 12 is not going to make a difference and they're going to be destroyed on a daily, weekly, monthly basis like all of the other equipment that's been given to Ukraine. Um, but what I'd like to uh, thank you for that excellent uh, summary there. Um, I'd just like to take people back in time to the UK column report in 2017. And uh, Mike, this was your original section. And uh, you were pointing out that the EU was winding up with its uh, Eastern Partnership deal. Uh, this was part of their horrible uh, little video. It's, uh, I think we've saved our viewers and listeners from the, from the music that goes with it. But here's Ukraine about to come into sight. And of course, what was happening was that Ukraine was being lined up for a variety of things to happen. This was the main document, 20 deliverables for 2020, bringing tangible results for citizens. And of course, all written in the language that we've only got your best interests at heart. Trust us. Uh, we're going to help you develop your society, industry. We're going to protect you. Um, but of course, reality was the exact opposite. And uh, in the 24th of November 2017 UK news report, um, uh, Mike pointed out here uh, some of the meetings going on. Uh, so this was all looking uh, very good. I'm just pointing out here that uh, 
give us I can't pronounce that name but uh, the, the gentleman who's tweeted out if you can uh, assist me here Alex Georgie we'll call him um, is one of the name faces on the World Economic Forum uh, but we've got the lovelies around the table and they're talking about what is is going to happen essentially in Eastern Europe and uh, here we've got a comment held a meeting with Ukrainian President Poroshenko uh, he seems to have been uh, to have disappeared into a black hole at the moment and uh, we'll see if we can find out some more information but this was all part of the plotting going on in 2017 here's a bit more the Eastern Partnership one of the most successful foreign policy initiatives of the EU well we're now in 2023 can we really say that was true but we also pointed out that Theresa May was in the mix so here she is from agriculture in Ukraine to the tech sector in Belarus uh, there is a huge amount of potential in the eastern neighborhood that we should nurture and develop so you get the impression that uh, Western eyes were on all of this, but we must also be open-eyed to the actions of hostile states like Russia, which threaten this potential and attempt to tear our collective strength apart. So we want it, but we can understand Russia might not want this to happen. The UK may be leaving the EU, but we're not leaving Europe and we're unconditionally committed to maintaining Europe's security. And isn't it interesting, Theresa May's gone, UK, well, claims it's out of the EU, but of course that's not true. And now we've got massive warfare. But this was the key comment from the UK column that Theresa May had launched Operation Barbarossa. And that, of course, was the name of the Nazi invasion of uh, the Soviet Union. And uh, what have we got an eye on? The grain, we want the grain, we want the oil, we want the technology. And we pointed out that the then Conservative Prime Minister was prepared to risk millions of lives of young Poles and Germans in their drive to war. Well, we haven't yet put those lives on the chopping block, but they're coming uh, because, as we shall see, uh, these same people are ramping up the war in Ukraine. Uh, we posted back in 2017 this comment from Aaron Banks, what's the first thing you do with a new army? Have a war, of course. And this was pointing out that uh, the whole of the EU defence structure was about creating a beast which could go to war. And uh, what did the Russians do? Well, they, of course, responded. They were having defence meetings. Uh, Putin here, the exercises expose certain shortcomings. He's talking about Russian military exercises. We must analyze them so as to propose additional method, measures sorry, to enhance mobilization readiness, the economic ability to increase the production of defense products and services quickly is a vital element of military security. All strategic companies, regardless of the type of ownership, must be able to do that. So, we, so they seem to have done that then? They've they, done they... it, Mike. They've done it. That's why it's so interesting looking at this quote. They have done it. Mm. And they are now uh, strides ahead of the West. Um, but we also put up this really excellent comment by Rodney Atkinson. Uh, he was commenting on free nations at the time. He said the political obscenity of the week is Boris Johnson's disgraceful attempt to compare Vladimir Putin's 2018 World Cup with Adolf Hitler's 1936 Olympics, i.e. giving legitimacy to a fascist dictator. Quite apart from Putin's repeated election and current 76% vote in an election contested by nationalist, communist and liberal parties in nationwide debates, if there's one thing certain about 
Putin's Communist Party education, it is his total indoctrination about the evils of fascism. And Rodney went on to say this, if anyone can be compared with Nazi Germany, it's NATO and the EU who funded the overthrow of the democratically elected Ukrainian government, helped organize Russia phobia extreme nationalist movements, which have so far, remember he's talking in 2018, led to the deaths of 10,000 Russian speaking Ukrainians and Russians in Eastern Ukraine, and which has destroyed the democratic, democratic constitutions of countries freed from the Soviet empire. NATO and the EU have stood by or actively encouraged fascist movements in Croatia, Bosnia, Kosovo, and Ukraine, where Nazi and fascist Second World War insignia flags and torchlit marches now feature within the EU and its neighborhood protectorates. Alex, just to come back to you very briefly on that, but it seems to me that particularly with the hindsight, looking back to 2018 and Rodney Atkinson, he was absolutely on the money. Of course he was. And uh, he's, together with me, uh, appeared recently with Rainer Filmic in the new ICIC format, talking about corporatism. I'm, I'm sure we can put that link in the show notes as well, uh, so that people will know that he has a very long uh, history, going back to the time of advising the Thatcher government on the evils of corporations stealing and plundering their own people and uh, making a dash for Eastern Europe for this very purpose. And the convenient cover is to scream and point fascist. I, I know that the Ukrainians now uh, and their allies are saying, well, Russia is acting like fascists, whatever they say about their glorious history of defeating fascism. But you've got to use accurate language. You know, if, if you want to criticize the Russian invasion, then you'd better use accurate terminology rather than fascism. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Well, let's just have a look at a little video, which has uh, been around for a couple of days. But I think since uh, Rodney Atkinson brought in Boris Johnson, let's have a look at Boris. Is he a man or a child? I don't know. The audience can decide. Uh, but Boris saying that Putin had threatened him. He said, Boris, you, you say that uh, Ukraine is, is not going to join NATO anytime soon. He said it in English, anytime soon. What is anytime soon? And I said, well, it, it, it's not going to join NATO for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know that perfectly well. It, it, it fundamentally, it wasn't about, you know, he, he sort of, he threatened me at one point and said, you know, uh, Boris, I don't want to hurt you, but uh, with a missile, it would only take a minute or something like that, you know. Uh, you know, jolly. Uh, but I think from the, the very relaxed tone that he was taking, uh, the sort of air of detachment that he seemed to have, he was just playing along uh, with my attempts to get him to negotiate. Well, I found that an astonishing clip. Um, a child in a man's body standing there at school that somebody tried to grab hold of his tuck box. Alex, Boris Johnson is a disgrace and he's certainly very dangerous. Um, what did you make of that uh, short clip? Disingenuous. Uh, he's got better acting skills than that, hasn't he? He did a very pithy, pity, half-hearted attempt, maybe quarter-hearted attempt to put on a Slavic voice when he was, uh, you know, mimicking Putin saying anytime soon in English. It's yeah. pitiful stuff. I know, indeed. Well, where has it led? It's led to this because Boris Johnson's been off to the States and he's calling for more weapons, bizarrely fighter jets. Those are not going to stay in the air. 
uh, but he's gone off on what basis is Boris Johnson talking to the Americans about more weapons for Ukraine? We don't know. Uh, he's, he's, by the way, he, just before we move on to that, he's produced a little video clip uh, this morning to camera uh, complaining about Biden saying no about military yes. jets and the same with uh, Rishi Sunak as well. Well, this is because Boris is too stupid to understand that F-16s are not going to achieve anything there apart from adding themselves to the scrap pile. Uh, but this man is dangerous. So what's happening now? Uh, Boris is followed up by report after report that the US is going to pump in more weapons and the danger is longer range weapons. So we've got a number of reports here. Bloomberg, longer range artillery, uh, part of the two billion in US aid for Ukraine. And uh, well, if we come to UK, UK MOD is getting very excited that the latest Ukrainian troops have arrived in UK to be uh, trained on the Challenger tanks. Now, the reality is that those tanks are also gonna disappear in the meat grinder. Uh, I'm using that term, but Alex, you had that in a, that term in an article that you've just uh, read to the audience today. Uh, so these uh, men arriving to be trained to fight on one of 14 tanks that are apparently going to stop the Russians. This is complete nonsense. But uh, MOD also boasting in this uh, latest little video um, clip here about uh, what's been supplied. So Challenger 2 tanks. Um, we've got Star Street missile defenses. Uh, we've got Remus unmanned underwater drones. Uh, and uh, we've got bivy bags and water, waterproof clothing, etc. So uh, this is the sort of stuff that's being pumped out by MOD in order to keep people's attention off the battlefield where massive um, formations of Russian troops have now encircled Bakhmut and they are breaking through Ukrainian uh, defences and they are causing huge casualties amongst the Ukrainians, huge, huge casualties uh, because the uh, Russian forces are now working uh, extremely well together. They still have air cover. It's been quiet for a couple of days because the weather's been very poor in this area. Uh, there's been a lot of fog and mist, and this has prevented aviate, Russian aviation working. But the Russians are moving forward and they are smashing Ukrainian defences. MOD doesn't want to talk about this, but let's have a look at this little mod clip about train, uh, uh, providing supplies, basic supplies to uh, Ukrainian soldiers who are now in UK to be trained. Listen carefully what is said about where these recruits come from. Give them boots, we give them combats, uh, they get mugs, bags, uh, socks, underwear, they get body armour, helmets, uh, pretty much a normal kit issue for a British soldier as well. They come to us and we give them all of the stuff they need out in the field, so your liners, your, your role mats and everything like that, like everything that we'd get in basic training. So when they get out there, they have the same, like the same stock. effect of what we have. Two pair of when we first started here, they were all already part of the military, so the morale was fairly high. Uh, they already knew what they were doing. So the training course was quite effective for them to just bring their skills higher. We are seeing a bit of a mixed bag now of volunteers as well as those that have already been in the military. Some have previous military experience, some have come straight from the street. We've talked to a few 
but one day they were an artist or working in a shop and then the next they're here. So it is a combined effort from Ukraine. They're all very willing to be here and they want to help. They've been really good, yeah, like, especially when you get, like, the interpreters as well, like, you could have a laugh with them because you could say something and then they'll say it, they'll say it in Ukrainian and they, like, we all have a laugh together. It's like one, it doesn't matter that you can't speak, can't speak a certain language, we're all together. So there's the admission that we've now got young Ukrainians simply been taken off the streets. They were an artist or something else. They have no military training. They're going to be given a few weeks training in UK and then they're going to be uh, sent on to the battle front. And uh, where are they going? Well, let's put up a picture. I think this is Uglidar, but it could be Bakhmut. But this is where they are going to be put in trenches and, and decaying frontline positions where the Russians are simply shelling them to death. Uh, so utter destruction, 60,000 Russian shells per day, which of course the Ukrainians can't match. But the Russians also backing it with missiles and the aircraft delivered uh, bombs. Uh, Ukrainian killed, well, reports are now coming in that that 150,000 figure killed in action can no longer be true. I've heard quotes as high as 225,000, but at least 500,000 wounded. And uh, I've got a little video clip here of what it is like to be shelled. It's not, it's not too dark, but uh, for people to understand what these young Ukrainian recruits are facing. Let's have a look at this clip. So that's the reality that the BBC or the British military, uh, Ministry of Defence doesn't want to talk about. Uh, really untrained Ukrainian troops put in the front lines to be shelled to death. Now, this is a uh, clip from Redacted, credit to the Redacted team in America. Uh, they did an interview with uh, uh, the military man McGregor. Uh, let's have a look at this first clip and see his response to... Uh, uh, Rob Bauer, the Netherlands Admiral, who waxed lyrical about uh, how we were to prepare for war while maintaining our civilian infrastructure. Let's see McGregor's response. In the battlefield is going up, and we same saw the same uh, we saw in the pandemic with medical equipment and uh, and the material. So uh, we need to um, increase the production in the defense industry, and now more and more, that is a, a, a discussion that is ongoing in the nations. But it might also require some prioritization in terms of um, certain raw materials, uh, certain production facilities that are required for uh, defense production instead of for civilian production. If you know that in the first four years of the United States, uh, the, in the United States in the Second World War, in the Ford factories, there was no civilian cars made, but only military production. So I'm talking about focus in the sense that we have to have this debate on prioritization. And that is, in a way, talking about a wartime economy, but in peacetime. And that's difficult, of course. So, Colonel, in one breath, he says that we're ready to take on Russia head on, while in another breath, he says we don't have the weapons to do it. It sounds like he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. What do you make of that? 
Well, not a great deal. Uh, let's be frank. If, if this is supposed to reassure your potential opponent of your readiness to defeat him, it's a pretty stupid statement. Uh, frankly, I, I don't know what uh, they're talking about, ready for a confrontation. The confrontation with Russia will not be in the mid-Atlantic. It's not going to be in the mid-Pacific. In other words, it's not going to be a naval war, per se. And any of our surface vessels, and for that matter, even our submarines, could be tracked. Now, the nuclear submarines in deep water can't be easily tracked, but the surface vessels can. So the notion that somehow or another he's ready to do something strikes me as ludicrous nonsense. So that says it all might ludicrous nonsense. Let's just look at the second part of that same clip uh, to see what McGregor added. So in your piece, you talk about the readiness uh, right now. And um, I like how you start. You say, you know, this time it's different that uh, somehow somehow they're telling us that it's going to be different and NATO is not prepared to do this. We're running out of ammunition. Um, where do you think NATO goes from here? Um, there, it sounds like, and if you listen to this admiral talking, we need a, a wartime economy. He says that we need to turn our factories into military production machines right now because our stocks are drying up and we're going to take Russia head on. We need to convert factories in all of these NATO countries and, and go all out for a full-blown uh, head-on collision with Russia. Well, it's useful to keep in mind that in Russia, the manufacturing facilities for military equipment and uh, weapons and ammunition are running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Russia's already mobilized and integrated 300,000. The possibility that they will bring in more is very, very likely. I, I don't dispute that. Because every time the Russians look to us and indicate a willingness to talk, we make it abundantly clear that the Russians have a choice. They can either completely withdraw from Ukraine or commit suicide. That's not necessarily a good starting point for negotiations. So the Russians are doing what you would expect them to do. They're getting ready for a much larger fight if necessary. Uh, so, Alex, just uh, for you, that's uh, pretty straightforward. And I think he said it as it is. The Russians have been backed up against the wall and the Russians are now going to fight. That's what's in the Russian blood. The Those among the Russians who are too pro-Western and uh, globalist-minded to want that have largely already left the country with their skills and their money. Uh, I'm not endorsing it, but a lot of the Russian public has expressed the sentiment, good riddance, we could do without you. Uh, slight correction to uh, who did the report or the interview, though. Uh, what you heard there was uh, Admiral Bauer being interviewed by the Portuguese public broadcaster, Radio Televiso de Portugal, RTP, and that was picked up by Clayton Morris of Redacted. Uh, and so that he could put it to comment by Colonel McGregor. If viewers don't know who Colonel McGregor is, and I'm, I'm sure you'll finesse this for me, but he is the last American uh, senior officer who can be called a tank uh, genius. He actually fought and won large tank battles, not against the Russians, of course, uh, but against uh, Arab opponents. So he knows what he's talking about, particularly the industrial side. Okay, thank you for that, Alex. Well, I'm just going to give credit to um, another website that's been doing some really good reporting on Ukraine. This is Moon of Alabama. And uh, what they did here um, was to superimpose using exactly the same scale. So the scale on the ground is the same. But uh, the box in the bottom right of the screen is the uh, Operation for Desert Storm. And uh, what they've done is superimpose that on Ukraine. Ukraine has been turned, so north is to the left of your screen. Uh, but the important thing is to look at the area covered by Desert Storm and compare it to the overall size of Ukraine. 
And what the moon of Alabama is getting people to think about is the Russians are completely prepared to take on this scale of warfare. Think about the massive logistics in order to get Operation Desert Storm underway. Uh, we are nowhere near having that capability. So the Russians are playing a very, very serious game. I've got a very short clip here from the MOD called One Year On. Let's look at propaganda coming straight out of the UK and the Ministry of Defence. So it's all the nasty Russians, and let's uh, finish up with this. This is intelligence update, and how are they dealing with the fact that the Ukrainians are now being destroyed on the battlefield? Well, defense intelligence simply ignores it. Uh, so it's talking about other areas of the battlefield, like Kherson. It doesn't want to talk about what's really happening in the Donbass, and it's not reporting on the critical and intense fighting in Bakhmud. Uh, Chazovyar, Uglidar, Marienka, and other locations. And if we have a look at one here, uh, well, what do we do? Russian units have probably conducted local probing attacks. Well, these are not probing attacks. These are the real deal. There is a realistic possibility that Russian military sources are deliberately spe spreading misinformation. Well, the reality is that it's defense intelligence spreading the disinformation and the misinformation as to the true state of the Ukrainian battlefield. But of course, we've got to accuse the Russians. And how does the BBC deal with the problem at the moment? They don't want to report it. So suddenly, all of the maps and the timelines have disappeared from the BBC. So they're going to lie to uh, their viewers by omission. So troubled times in Ukraine, sympathy to the Ukrainian people as their troops are now absorbing massive losses, which, of course, the West could stop overnight. Alex. Yes, that's uh, just commenting on the DIS uh, piece there. It's getting worse and worse, isn't it? That's for some weeks we've been noticing that the Defence Intelligence Service has been talking about things that are highly likely and that are at least military and hardware related or manpower related. And now you're showing us, Brian, that they're talking about things which have a realistic probability possibility of being so and their media space uh, items about talking points. And if I if I'd mentioned that stuff, the Defence Intelligence Service uh, in my time at GCHQ, I would have been laughed out of the building. But let's go on to what's been reported here by Zavtra, admittedly a hard nationalist, Alexander Dugin-style uh, Russian outlet run by Alexander Prokhanov, who is quite a controversial figure in Russia. But the title of this uh, blog translates as the uh, Swarm of Wasps Project. And you can see this 18th century um, lithograph of... Uh, a man uh, kind of bringing a woman under his spell. I don't know whether that's meant to be a swarm of insects or just his influence going out. Uh, this is written by uh, Oleg Yanovsky. It's been uh, translated for me, fortunately, as I don't have much time for that myself by a viewer. Sorry that the text is a bit grainy. Again, people can freeze this to read the whole of it. But it shows that the Russians, at least at the nationalist end of the scale, and these are oppositionists who don't like Putin, remember, they're noticing that General Nick Carter announced in late 2021 that, uh, it, that the UK and NATO needed to prepare for a fully-fledged war with Russia. 
they noticed that the now outgoing head of GCHQ, Sir Jeremy Fleming, who's been in post five, six years and who's going now, uh, they have a short shelf life these days, GCHQ directors, had announced that Britain was fully involved in cyber information operations against Russia well before the war. They have noticed that General Sir Patrick Sanders in June last year, immediately after being appointed Chief of the General Staff, emphasised that British troops must be ready for all-out war with Russia. The Russian commentary goes on, to conduct a new war, the British created a new type of intelligence almost entirely based on the analysis of open data. That is, they involve not only specialists, but also all civilians, they're sounding like Mike Robinson, in an all-out war against Russia. Thus, preparations are underway for the Third World War. Now, hear about this. Considering the Russian mentality, and this is the swarm of wasps of the title of this piece in Zavtra, considering the Russian mentality, the British, for the first time, used a new technology against us. They hacked the culture of laughter, fully tested the methods of influencing visual content and memes on the Russian population, using Ukrainians for this. Something that Western intelligence has been struggling with for a very long time has now happened. The Russians are poking fun at the Russians. An Englishman, for example, can't do that. He simply doesn't understand us. But since there's no mental difference, this is in the Russian nationalist view, no mental difference between the Russian and Ukrainian. I know that Ukrainians would violently disagree. There is at least structure. I think even the Ukrainian nationalists would admit that they know how the Russians think. So in Ukraine, they, the British, have been very successful, says this piece in Zavtra, because Ukraine is much more integrated into and dependent on the English-speaking world. True, I concede that point even with the greatest scepticism, and it's only taken five years. The new technologies of the British intelligence services, Spitslushby, not quite special services, have led to the fact that the Ukrainians, captured by them, have turned into a fanatical enemy of Russia, ready at any, any moment to become saboteurs with a blind conviction in victory over the so-called Russian world, Ruskimiya, which is this much derided view now that Russia has a sphere of influence. It should be noted that such people no longer have an identity. It is blurred by the applied influence. So there we are. Uh, Britain using the Ukrainians as sock puppets to, uh, uh, to sap the Russians' confidence in themselves. And Alex, that, that of course has got to be one of the main reasons that BBC Media Action was sent in early to uh, capture the Ukrainian government uh, media system, set up Suspilny and start to push out the BBC propaganda on the Ukrainian people. This is what is so sad because of course much, many of those people in Ukraine will trust the BBC when in fact the BBC, certainly in my opinion, was attacking them from day one. Uh, right, we have a little bit of video, but for Stephanie, we're just going to play that out after this section. So we're just going to move the order just a little bit here. So I just want to first of all bring on uh, Mao Ning, who's the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokeswoman. This is the Chinese equivalent of uh, Maria Zakharova. Uh, and uh, while well, she was saying this, the US is the one who started the Ukraine crisis and the biggest factor fueling it and has kept sending heavy and assault weapons to Ukraine, which has only prolonged and intensified the conflict. Uh, rather than reflecting on its own acts, the U.S. has been sowing paranoia and pointing fingers at China. We reject such groundless blackmail. Uh, if the U.S. truly wants an early end to the crisis and cares for the lives of the Ukrainian people, then it needs to stop sending weapons and profiteering from the fighting. Uh, the U.S. needs to act responsibly by helping the situation de-escalate as soon as possible and create the necessary environment and conditions for peace talks between the parties concerned. I don't think there's anything we can criticise in that statement. No, and, and the Chinese are seeing the same thing. There is a psychological war being waged both on Russia and 
and China, and there's no doubt about this. Um, and then I want to uh, bring uh, the, well, first of all, the US ambassador to the Russian Federation, Lynn Tracy, has uh, met up with the Deputy Foreign Minister, Sergei uh, Rybakov. Uh, uh, now, Rybakov, sorry, and uh, it really his comments uh, surrounding this meeting that I want to highlight and, and get Alex's thoughts on. Uh, it's quite possible, he said, uh, sorry, it's, it's, it's quite a possible scenario. New start, now this is the only uh, nuclear non-proliferation -prolifer non treaty that still sort of exists at the moment. Uh, New START may fall victim to this. So he's pretty unhappy about the, the United States approach to negotiations on, uh, the, on nuclear non-proliferation. He said, we're ready for such a scenario. The entire situation in the sphere of security, including arms control, has been held hostage by the US line of inflicting strategic defeat on Russia. We will resist this in the strongest possibly possible way using all the methods and means at our disposal. We are on the verge of a direct collision between the US and NATO with Russia. Uh, Alex, uh, you know, the Russians are increasingly clear in how they're seeing the situation. And not for the first time, we note that the Russians, and this isn't me being a, a fanboy, it's just uh, accepted uh, all round, the Russians integrate their warfare and the diplomacy much better than Britain and America and the European continent do. Uh, Vanessa Bealey often makes this observation, uh, that they have a Clausewitzian view in Russia, that you continue with warfare what you can't manage diplomatically. And this isn't cynical or Machiavellian on the Russians' part, it's actually, uh, I would say, loss-minimising. Uh, Ryabkov, as a deputy foreign minister, uh, like in, as, as in any country, a DFM is not usually found saying we might be at war with you soon. Uh, yeah. This is what you know generals tend to say. So you know, I, I would endorse what you say there. Okay, uh, right. We've got a little bit of video here of Keir Starmer at Davos. So this was obviously going back a couple of weeks, uh, but but Brian had been uh, given the tip off about this, so I thought it'd be worthwhile everybody hearing it uh, and. I'm very interested in both yours and Alex's thoughts on this. And, and we're going to let you go. You've got a lot to do, but we'll end on a quick fire because obviously we wouldn't be a podcast without a quick fire. So um, let us just ask you quickly. You have to choose now between Davos or Westminster. Davos. Why? <laughs> because Westminster is too constrained um, and, you know, it's closed and we're not having meaning. Once you get out of Westminster, whether it's Davos or anywhere else, you actually engage with people um, that you can see working with in the future. Westminster is just a, a tribal shouting place. Alex, I thought that was quite an incredible statement. Yeah, it's Sakir, right? So he, he's got a long pedigree in the British state. He used to run state prosecutions for England and Wales, as most of our viewers know. You'd think he would have the gumption not to say, oh, the foreigners when given a choice between representing his own constituents and going to uh, a CD club abroad to be given his orders. And to compound his error, while he's doing his hand-wringing, he says, uh, you can, when you go to Davos, you can imagine yourself working with such people in future, which again is code for taking orders for them, from, uh, from them. Uh, I, I, you have to concede he's right that Yabu sucks and, and public schoolboy behavior in Westminster is a problem, although you know different kinds of MPs are coming in now uh, the, 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 the charlatanry doesn't seem to have di di diminished on that account. Uh, but he's still got an overriding fiduciary duty as a member of parliament to his own constituency, you know, much uh, anterior and superior to anything like being a, a party leader or a potential prime minister. These concepts are repugnant to the British constitution, of course. They're the only constitutional matter 
and you'll see more about this in extra time, the only constitutional grounds that he has really is that he represents his constituents and he seems to be snorting at that idea. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And uh, well, Debbie, at last, um, now we've got a Guardian article here about super rich preppers planning to save themselves from the apocalypse. So, so the question is, are these Davos types they're talking about? Well, yes, I think they possibly could be. Um, and I've been fascinated, really, because the WHO have just announced all countries to stockpile on radiological emergency medicines. And then all of a sudden we see now that uh, tech billionaire billionaires are building, uh, are buying up luxurious bunkers. And when I say luxurious, I mean luxurious. And you can see there they, they often refer these tech billionaires to the book Survival of the, Rit of the Richest. Um, but I think you've got a very short little video clip just to show you a few of what you can expect if you go to a tech billionaire's bunker, because it really is very extravagant. You're in the middle of nowhere, rural Kansas, the site of an abandoned nuclear missile silo. Armed security patrol the entrance to a doomsday bunker that's reserved for the wealthy elite, and sales are booming. Since the uh, election of Donald Trump, we've seen a whole new demographic of people calling in, people that didn't know we existed before. Larry Hall is the owner of the Survival Condo Project. These 16,000 pound doors lock you inside. We're heading deep below the surface of the earth into an underground bunker like no other. We are in a typical full floor residential unit. And even though we are more than 100 feet underground right now, you can see that it's certainly not a claustrophobic area. 12 luxurious condos exist here with fireplaces, high-end appliances, jacuzzis, even windows. Yes, windows. High-definition TVs broadcast a live feed of the outside world right into your living room. The price tag for this three-bedroom, two-bath condo, $2.3 million. Well, as the sign says, welcome to the beach. And look at this, it's a swimming pool with a slide and waterfall. Other common areas include a movie theater, rock climbing wall, and shooting range. There's even a farm that grows all the fresh fruits and vegetables you'll need. This can grow up to 70 different uh, species of plants, lettuces, uh, tomatoes, carrots. The bunker runs on power sources like wind and diesel generators. We have enough fuel to run these diesels for two and a half years. Plenty of time to ride out worldwide chaos should it ever erupt. So maybe they're expecting something that uh, they know, but the rest of us are not meant to know. What do you think, gentlemen? Well, from the mentality we've just seen with Keir Starmer, these people are capable of anything. Are they capable of creating war, but also protecting themselves? And of course, they got the wealth to snap up supposedly this level of protection yeah they have we're dealing with some very deranged people okay let's come back to the uk and parliament and we have a little piece of video of alex chalk who's the defense minister uh answering a question uh, i think on thursday last week uh, the chief of the general staff also uh, went on to make the point that this was it could not be in a better cause and indeed it's important to make the point that weapons that we supply 
uh, have the effect of degrading the very adversary that was noted in the IR. So not only is this a just war where we are there to stand up for the international uh, rule of law, we're there to make a statement that might is not always right, that you can't remake borders by force, but also it's there to degrade uh, the forces of our principal uh, uh, adversary as identified in the IR. So that comment was made on the floor of the House of Commons last week. And so let's just bring Alex Chalk on screen and just put what he actually said on screen there. So not only is this a just war where we're there to stand up for the international rule of law, that's what he claimed on the floor of the House of Commons. But this is what was reported in Hansard, which is supposed to be the record of everything that is said uh, in the House of Commons. Uh, in Hansard, it said, we are fighting this just war, not only to stand up for the international rule of law and so on. So th that is a very different statement to the one that was actually said. And just to show you the Hansard page, uh, to show you that that is uh, exactly the, the clip, uh, that is what Hansard reported. Alex, I just wanted to get very briefly your thoughts on you know, how this could have happened, the significance of it, because Hansard is considered to be a, an official record. Oh, and there's been recent cases uh, that uh, allow judges to use Hansard, which used to be a contempt of court, uh, contempt of parliament, one or the other, I forget which, but uh, they're now allowed to do so in cases where the text of the, the, the bill, as when it becomes an act, isn't sufficient to clarify the matter of law. Um, the Hansard parliament, or the, the parliamentary clerks who take very adept shorthand, have never claimed to do a verbatim transcript. That would include lots of ums and ahs, known as false starts and misconstrued sentences. Just as when you read a transcript on a reputable website like UK Column, it doesn't attempt to be verbatim and not all words that are supplied are within square brackets. That said, the Hansard clerks have told the BBC and others in the past uh, that they are very scrupulous in what they do. They are supposed to be the last apolitical part of the parliamentary estate that may have gone by the board now but i do know that they on principle never listen to the recordings that are available in high quality these days because it slows them down then they're that good at shorthand and this is perhaps what what uh, incriminates them here possibly they are that good that they take down verbatim what they uh, what they can on the spur of the moment and they run with that but to introduce a new subject of the action of the verb we are fighting goes way way beyond what is uh, considered making good a false start or a misconstrued sentence in any reputable transcription um, of which I have quite a long professional experience uh, because it makes Britain the party to the conflict. So if anything, it's, uh, it shows the fundamental international law illiteracy of those writing these transcripts, doesn't it? Because they, they've just made a point clean contrary to what Mr Chalk has said. And of course, he's also member of uh, member for Cheltenham where GCHQ is based. Uh, it was controversial uh, a year or so ago when he got that post that he, he could have that as well as being a junior minister at the Ministry of Defence. A clear case of split loyalties, but that of course is because we have allowed in the Westminster model ministers to sit in parliament, contrary to our own founding uh, contracts and, and constitutional documents. Yes. Uh, okay, look, Alex, uh, we are really short of time. So if we could just very briefly run through this. People will be aware, uh, this is really just a feel-good interlude, uh, that the uh, 77th Brigade story has, has uh, gone large. Uh, but just to, to show people of uh, how much kudos has gone to, G to, to, to UK Column here, and you're missing a lot if you're not a signed-up member, there'll be far more in extra time for you to enjoy. So if you're not subscribed, you'll miss that. Uh, but here we are, that Majid Nawaz uh, 
uh, is being accused by Mike Wendling, the, the head of fake news at BBC, somebody whom uh, Brian described five years ago as having uh, the e an ego like a, rhin a rhinoceros-sized ego, that was the phrase. Wendling is now saying that Nawaz uh, is a conspiracy theorist, uh, and therefore when he says something is true, it's, it's not to be taken notice of, because the information in this article that's broken this week with the Big Brother Watch uh, expose on 77 Brigade of the Army spying on the British people, uh, that's, that's new information. And he's called out on that immediately. Nawaz's own take on this is, well, Majid was right all along about 77 Brigade, uh, but he's still a conspiracy theorist because uh, he interviewed someone I don't like, and that's not fair. Uh, we can see that we're being credited here. So uh, this graphic, which you created years ago, Mike, and have kept up to date, is now doing the rounds with credit. Notice there that uh, somebody called Ruby says that UK columns are always worth watching because they give accurate information, which is well sourced. Another user, PBC174, says that we always show their sources, most, most of which is from the government. BBC, on the other hand, reads a heavily scripted version of the news. Uh, an Australian viewer says, I wish we had an Australia comment. Uh, they, their column, they're so brilliant, they cover a wide selection of topics. Uh, this is really going to infuriate the BBC and their cheerleaders, isn't it? Because they often say that they're reputable and they, and they have proper source controls and we don't supposedly have editorial controls. Neil Ferguson's computer tweets, imagine a world where UK column replaced BBC News at six. Big Brother Watch itself in announcing this expose that most people are now aware of, got this reply, you're two or three years too late. UK column are way ahead of you, very poor. Uh, Rebecca Riot said, oddly, uh, Wendling and Mariana Spring, the two supremos of fake news at BBC, claimed to have been surprised, because he said it was new information, didn't he? Surprised by the army spying on us. It's been known for years. And Karen Bain says, another so-called conspiracy theory comes true. Sack Tobias Elwood. He can't, and Karen's making the key constitutional point for us, he can't spy on his constituents and pretend he represents them. You cannot be a fiduciary duty MP and a minister. And we're going to have a lot more about this in coming weeks. Uh, Money Circus, one of the best Substack blogs, has also uh, written about up on this. And just to show you that, again, with accreditation, that uh, image has gone uh, gone up. So there is there's plenty of indication that people are uh, aware of what we're doing. OK, thank you for that, Alex. Um, well, Debbie, let's bring you back in because um, we can't trust the BBC. We've got other news outlets. GB News is one of them. Can we trust GB News? Well, you know, um, I was very into, and, and like a lot of our viewers and listeners, I've been very interested to watch um, bits of GB News and to catch up with them. Um, and um, I do wish Mark Stern um, well. I, I hope he gets better very quickly. I hear that he's um, had a heart attack or a couple of heart attacks and his programme isn't yet back on GB News. And he was doing an awful lot of amazing work um, highlighting uh, the vaccine injured and so therefore I was um, I was looking at Bill Gates as we all do um, which you can read by the way when my blog comes out this week but we'll talk about that later so in my investigation I found this article an excellent article from Dan Wooten of GB News and he says if Bill Gates and the WHO are allowed to take control of international pandemic policy we're in deep trouble um, and I've underlined a couple of things there um, one of the one of the um, the top paragraph says, well, the mainstream media, too, is in lockstep with the WHO and Bill Gates over the correct approach to pandemic management, 
even though both the organisation and the man got it spectacularly wrong. And I've highlighted a few little bits where Bill Gates is mentioned there, um, and I heartily agree with Dan Wooten. And, and my next um, slide is in any way, as it, this is a caveat, and I'm not saying that any of the presenters uh, are, are in any way involved or know anything about this, but it was just an observation I made with regards to GB News. So you can see at the top there that it's um, GB News Limited is a wholly owned subsidiary of All Perspectives Limited. The company has been funded by the following principal investors. Investors Now, All Perspectives Limited were founded in 2019, in September, just before um, the pandemic and just before Brexit, obviously, and they're funded by Discovery TV Network in the UK. Now, their principal investors, Legatum, Legatum are a private investment firm based in Dubai, and they promote entrepreneurship. Now, they've in their portfolio, they've got the End Fund, which is on track to eliminate the world's five most common neglected tropical diseases by 2030 and the Luminos Fund, which helps get children back into, sorry, I, I was just reading that and I just missed the end of it. Maybe one of you could just, um, sorry, thank you. So the, the, the Luminos Lu Fund, which helps, yes, sorry, go on, Brian. The Luminos Fund, which helps get children back into school after their exclusion due to poverty, war or discrimination. Yes, yeah, so these two um, organisations I hadn't heard of, so I went to have a little look further and I was surprised by what I found. And um, as you can see, the Luminos Fund, their donors, many donors, um, but specifically I saw the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Also the End Fund there, um, their investors, we can see the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation again. So that alarmed me a little bit. So I, I don't know if anybody has followed the trail because the thing is with Bill Gates is that our audience have, uh, have their own opinion on Bill Gates and I'm sure I know the majority of what those will be. But to many in the world, Bill Gates is a hero. You know, he's some kind of angel to save the world. So it, it troubles me when I see another media company um, having a, an investment, however far down the, the trail it is, that connects them to Bill and Melinda Gates. And when you look at Paul Marshall, who's also in charge of GB News, he's the investor. He's very, very hot on uh, philanthropy. He's worth $630 million. And um, for you, Brian, I know you'll have to make a comment here. He's the founder, trustee, of ARC and chairman of ARC schools. So those were my observations on GB News, just my observations. Um, very welcome to hear more of what everyone else thinks to those observations. I just happened to stumble upon it because I'm a little concerned that where we were hearing an awful lot about COVID and the agenda and the vaccine injured, it, we're not hearing quite so much at the moment. So. I'm just wondering why. It's a question you more than so, anything. You mean so much from GB News on this subject? I think I think that's what you're getting across. Yes, sorry. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. From okay. GB News. No, not from us. We, we will continue to cover it, obviously. Yeah. OK, thanks, Debbie. Right. If you like what the UK Column does, you would like to support us, please head over to community.ukcolumn.org. There are options to help us out there. You can pick something up at the UK Column shop, but please do uh, share material you find on the various platforms. 
Okay, now we had an, an email which uh, came in this morning. Um, good morning, I hope you're well. I'm not sure whether you're familiar with the case that's been going through court. Tom's mum, a 20, uh, this is about a 23-year-old disabled man. I spoke with the mother yesterday. She informed me that the courts have ruled he will be vaccinated. I wondered if there was any chance his story could be covered urgently. And this has come through to us uh, from Children's Health Defence. We've got a very short little video clip here, which really sets the scenes. But of course, what, what are we witnessing? We're witnessing parental protective prote parental rights being stripped away so the state can do whatever it likes with your children. Let's have a look at this little clip. Was born with a heart condition, con uh, congenital heart disease. He also had a cleft palate. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is he, he was born with um, a chromosome condition. So that's also caused severe learning difficulties and he doesn't have any speech either. It's just like having a baby, he's a baby. He has a, a, a very young mental age, you know, um, and, uh, but yet he's in a, a grown, grown man's body. He was one when he had his heart surgery done. I just said and kissed him on the forehead and I said, you know, I will always protect you. Whatever I do, I'll always protect you. And this is what I feel I'm doing at the moment. They suddenly appeared after the um, lockdowns. So I got a, a, a big envelope through the post and they, it was taking me to court. With all the evidence we put forward, said he was to have the vaccination. You know, I have to stay strong. We're a unit. I love him with all my heart and I'm everything to him. Well, this is, issue is so serious because, of course, if this is done to one child or a few children, it can be done to any of our children. Uh, if you want to help, there is a crowdfunder because, of course, this family is trying to fight. Uh, so you can find it here, Force Vaccinations on Our Loved Ones. And if you want more details of Children's Health Defence, it's uh, Children's Health Defence all run together, dot org. Um, okay, just uh, an update on uh, the court case that's been going on in Southwark, uh, I believe Southwark Crown Court, uh, with respect to uh, violent uh, uh, public disorder. Uh, this is uh, Nacho, the uh, person basically who set up uh, Stand Up X, uh, who's been in court with three other people. So he and uh, Jack Drinkwater were uh, acquitted of any kind of... Uh, violent activity at, uh, as a result of being arrested at a, uh, one of the lockdown, early lockdown protests. Um, they were acquitted yesterday. Uh, Adam Ashley, uh, Alexander Peter been found guilty of violent public uh, disorder. That follows a 12-day trial. And uh, the question on many people's lips is uh, how much did that cost? Uh, now, of course, uh, there, there's still many questions to be asked about uh, Adam and Alex. Uh, so they, their sentencing is going to be on the 17th of March. And anybody that wants to support that, uh, I'm sure there'll be de details close to the time. Keep an eye on Stand Up X website for that. Uh, but I'm, uh, you know, it's at least a, a, an acquittal for two of the four. Uh, the other two need some additional support. Uh, another event taking place very soon is, uh, well, Stop the War seems to have come out of the woodwork. 
uh, and they are uh, holding a demonstration on Saturday the 25th of February 2023 at 12 p.m. outside BBC Broadcasting House at Portland Place. Everybody seems to want to meet there these days for some reason. I'm not sure why the BBC would be such a target, Brian, are you? But anyway, uh, I suggest that uh, everybody should go to that, uh, no matter what your politics might be and what you might think about Stop the War Coalition. Uh, I think uh, as many people as possible need to be out making sure that Ukraine uh, remains uh, sort of... Forefront, at people's minds. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, I just wanted to very briefly mention this. I received this email this morning. Uh, C40 Cities, more madness with a YouTube link. Uh, people should go and have a look at that YouTube video. Thanks for your great journalism from Les. I just wanted to say to, we get lots of videos telling us about things. Uh, and of course, in many cases, the things have been are already on the UK column website. So if we search for, six, for C40, we find uh, four articles on C40 cities and so on uh, over the last lot of years. We've been talking about this for a very long time. Uh, and this isn't in any way to, to suggest that you shouldn't send stuff to us. But what I would ask is that uh, people do search on the main UK column website for whether we've covered topics that they're sending around by email to see what we've covered and maybe send this stuff around as well. Uh, that would be extremely helpful. Now, Alex, very, very quickly, please, uh, just a couple of mentions. In support of what you said, Mike, uh, yesterday was a bumper production day. Uh, some of our viewers still don't realize that we have a well-stocked uh, website. So uh, just published in the last uh, 24 hours, and this is going to be more the norm than the exception from now on, this kind of tempo, especially on a Tuesday. We have Hugh McCarthy's part, new, part two on what we're doing to our children. You should be sharing all these as well as talking to us just to support what Mike said. We have Ian Davis on sustainable renewable energy being none of the neither of these two. And Sean has already tweeted a reply. You know who else promised utopia and clean air? Hitler. Uh, we have a video interview between David Scott and Dr. James Tour or Jimmy Tour on the origin of life uh, problems with researchers. We have the leader of a Scottish party, uh, Richard Lucas of the, Chil the Scottish Family Party, uh, writing about children's so-called right to be sexually abused. Uh, we have uh, an opinion piece on I'm not anti-vax, I'm pro-informed content and you should be too. Already been tweeted by Dr. David Cartland, a heavy hitter on Twitter, and you'll see at the bottom of the screen that just by that means alone, it's had 28,000 views in the last, uh, in the first 24 hours of it being up. And we have this from David Tate in Scotland, a freedom of information response to him indicates that no doctors or nurses died involving COVID, as the jargon puts it, for the past three years. Uh, and Rustler has uh, replied to that saying, uh, interesting that healthcare professionals have had the lowest death rate uh, in all of these uh, different uh, professional groups as with these statistics on screen. Debbie's blog this week is not up. We get people communicating with us, not so much as aware that Debbie has a weekly blog. Uh, the website has more than a top screen to it. Scroll down as if it was a newspaper with a top half and a bottom half of the front cover. And you'll find Debbie's blog. The current one will be up today or tomorrow. Garland Nixon, a heavy hitter of American news. Uh, has noticed not something that's not even on our homepage anymore, the day of the Skripal. Maybe he used the search function uh, and he's brought that to American uh, viewers' notice uh, and several people have put the replies on screen that you've already seen. So Twitter and other social networks are wonderful tools to have if you know how to use them, but don't rely just on them first. Go to UK Column and make that your social network. Uh, find what's on the UK Column community as a subscribed member and if you're not, at least use the search function as Mike says. Okay, thank you, Alex. Now, Debbie, uh, MHRA. MHRA. Well, I received a, a reply to my board question uh, from the one and only Dr. Alison Cave. Um, it came in yesterday. 
So this is an exclusive um, for UK Column. Uh, of course, you'll remember that I had to remind them that they hadn't replied to my question. So I had to write to them yet again. Uh, she says their patient safety is on every agenda. Please freeze the screen. I won't read it out because I know we're tight for time. But she says patient safety is on every agenda. Um, but she said there was no reference to the wider collaborative partnerships. So what does that mean, partnerships? Does that mean that we could expect to see Pfizer? on a board meeting, I wonder, um, because she seems to be putting the Patient Safety Commissioner, which is what the question I asked, when will the Patient, patient Safety Commissioner be invited to the board? And what she says is that she's already established an ongoing dialogue, dialogue with Dr. Henrietta Hughes. Well, that would be good if we could know what that is. And um, they're going to think about a future invitation to the board. But if Dr. Henrietta Hughes wants to talk to them about any matter concerning vaccine safety, uh, sorry, concerning safety or vaccine injuries, perhaps, um, please feel free. So I think we should all be asking Dr. Henrietta Hughes to contact Dr. Alison Cave direct and absolutely insist on an attendance at the board meeting. And perhaps she could bring up vaccine injuries at the board meeting. So that's my one suggestion for the MHRA. Um, and then very quickly, going on on a theme really of today, um, I'd just like to highlight my blog because um, I also get loads of wonderful emails from some wonderful, wonderful people telling me about things that I have actually already covered in my blog. So it does take me a long time to do my blog and I do try to be as detailed. And what I put in it is often forecasts of what is coming up. And the next slide will illustrate that no more so than, than this. So the government is exp uh, planning a 500% expansion of virtual wards. Surprise, surprise. Steve Barclay, we are building the NHS back to where we want it to be. So that's that build back better. Well, I'm pretty angry with Steve Barclay because Steve Barclay has just brought out an urgent and emergency recovery plan. Well, I would just like to tell the BBC and I'd like to ask Mr. Barclay, have a look at UK Column because we've been, this isn't an emergency plan. This is the long-term plan. And I wrote an article, you can see it on screen there. That was last year, July, I think it was, 2022. The NHS Long-Term Plan and Mental Health Implementation Plan, Phoenix or Dinosaur. And in it, if people don't want to read the whole article, and I can appreciate that some people don't want to read full paragraphs, at the end of the article, I actually bullet a load of points that are in the NHS long-term plan to make it easy for people to see what's coming up. Now, the ones that you can see that I've just put little red dashes against are the projections and the reports that we were making on UK Column a year ago. So the next three slides, just freeze the screen for a couple of seconds on each slide, and you'll see that I made all of these projections a long time ago. So why the BBC and Steve Barclay isn't watching UK Column, I absolutely don't know. So please scroll down to the end of that article for all the bullet points. And then you can see not only what's being implemented now was planned a long, long time ago, but also what's coming up in the next six months, in the next year, personal budgets, for example. Why have we increased the children's palliative care budget? for example, all the things that mental health vehicles, ambulances, this isn't part of Steve Barclay's um, emergency plan. He's not been sitting there working this out with civil servants. 
it was already planned. And in his diary, probably for August or July this year, he'll start announcing personal budgets. He's just following the plan. So please, could everybody just have a little look at that article and then you can, you'll know what to expect going forward for the next few months anyway. Right, so what we'll, what we'll do, Debbie, is we will put that article up in the Editor's Choice section on the front page of the website uh, straight after the news programme. Thank you. Thank okay. you very much. Okay, well, we're, we're out of time for the news. Uh, we have a lot of material uh, still to talk about. Some of that we'll bring into extra time. So if you're able to stay with us, uh, join us for extra time. And uh, we've got some very interesting commentary, including more from uh, Debbie uh, about matters medical. Uh, but I'd also like to say, if you are appreciating that UK Column has expanded its capacity, that the whole range of subject areas we're covering is growing greater, we're covering things in more depth, and uh, I think there's a change in quality in many areas. Uh, we've only been able to do this because of the huge support from our viewers and listeners and, uh, and supporters. So we have uh, more plans for this year, which I think are very exciting, uh, but how are we able to do what we do? We're only able to do it because of the support from all of our wonderful viewers. So we're going to say to you, thank you very much. Keep supporting us and we will keep growing. Thank you very much. We'll Back for extra in a couple of seconds. Bye-bye.